to come here expecting for the issues to to somehow come out the way you want them is a logical misstep. Like comedians are not meant to be on the right side of issues. Comedians are meant to be on the right side of humor. So like I am meant to be able to talk about the issues and help you find a place of rest in that you are able to laugh about a thing that you otherwise were not able to laugh about. It doesn't mean that I'm getting you to the place where you liked what I said. You just have to laugh at what I said. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. This weekend, we've got Jacqueline Novak headlining Big Hunt. Jacqueline is a very talented writer and performer. She will be launching her own off-Broadway show this summer, executive produced by Mike Berbiglia and Natasha Leone. You can get tickets and info about her shows at undergroundcomedydc.com. Our guest today is Langston Kerman. Langston is a Los Angeles-based comic who has done stand-up on Comedy Central, acted in Insecure on HBO, and written for Chris Rock for the 2016 Oscars. He talks about his poetry background, getting laughs instead of applause breaks, and using comedy to bring people together instead of trying to change their views. I uh, was a poetry. Is, I have an wow. MFA in poetry. <laughs> yeah. So you did you want to be a poet? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm not sure. I don't still want to be a poet now to some extent, but... Being a poet is a uh, far less lucrative job than even comedy. Right. And uh, also requires you to be an educator or have some other version of Yeah, you, can you be a full-time poet? No, no, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, there are like famous, famous people who right. are able to live off of like appearances. and But they even like the poet laureates of the country also like teach at a college. Like or write they, novels or something. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Do you still write poetry? Not very often. Uh-huh. Very rarely do I end up writing anything uh-huh. of substance, at least. It's it's usually because somebody calls me and is like, hey, I need you to submit something for this thing that matters to me. So please. And then I'll do that. But no, nah, I don't ever like sit down. What is just, that scenario? Like, what do you mean by that? When they need you, when they want to submit something? Uh, Like I have a few friends who run publications. Uh-huh. And so they would, because we have a relationship or because it would be helpful to the work that they're doing, they would like me to do some version of the thing. Uh-huh. So like, um, uh, uh, my former teacher slash mentor, a guy named Peter Kahn, like, ran this uh this uh publication or he he got a book published about based on this dude terrence hayes's work mm-hmm. called a golden shovel poem okay where essentially you are taking a selection of words from a separate poem uh-huh. and then turning it into a form poem okay based on the words okay um i won't go into the details about what that form is okay. but essentially you're making a form poem from somebody else's shit i see he asked me to do a version of that because it would be helpful number one to be able to show the students and then number two because he'd like for me to be a part of the anthology that and have you together. had like poems published a few not uh-huh. many um around the time that like 
publication and some of these other things became a more serious thing uh-huh. i became much more fascinated with comedy right and so poetry after my mfa sort of fell to the wayside how soon after you're done with your masters did you start to get- i was already doing comedy before i started my masters was there a point while you were doing your masters where you were like i'm probably not gonna pursue this uh, about a third of the way in yeah I had figured out that I wanted what ends up happening with comedy. I'm sure you felt this, too, that like uh, the first six months, you kind of lie to yourself. Right. Or at least that's where I was in my I don't think that's true for everybody. But for me, it was like I I had worked as a teacher before I was doing comedy. Uh-huh. Um, and so for me, it was like, OK, this isn't a realistic job. I'm just doing this because it's catharsis and like, yes, because it feels good. And right. I'll, it'll be a fun hobby to have and uh-huh. be able to tell people I do comedy. Uh-huh. But in the back of my mind, I wanted it to be my full-time job. Yeah. I just didn't have the ego and the heart to uh-huh. be able to admit that out loud. Yeah. And then about, I would say, like nine, somewhere between nine months and a year into comedy, I was like, nah, I, this is the thing. Yeah. And everything else is a thing that I used to do or right. I like, but is much less important than this other thing. Yeah, yeah. So... By the time that like nine months a year had kicked in, I was a full time uh, a student in grad school. Yes. So I was having this revelation while I was still having to prepare for class. Right. And right. Read and write and do right. a whole bunch of. other Yeah, shit. for sure. Yeah. I imagine that it it those writing skills must have helped in your early uh, stand up. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've said it to a few people before. I think. The beautiful thing about poetry, at least in relation to comedy, is that the 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 strategies I employ are pretty much identical. It, okay. All of my poems, in the same way that all my comedy works, all is rooted in personal narrative, right? It's mm-hmm. all a story that I'm telling about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that story, I then branch it out into giant hyperbole or social observations right. or whatever is socio-political whatever right right so at the end of it it's the same setup structure mm-hmm. it just happens one of them goes hyper reflective and then the other one goes hyper silly yeah as like the turn yeah you know what i mean yes yes um so it's not they're not hugely different i think the biggest difference has been economy of words like right uh, granted comedians you know we always talk about how important economy of words mm-hmm. are is it are whatever uh-huh. uh, <laughs> boy should i know yeah. i've studied <laughs> words for quite some time um but that it's bullshit compared to poetry like poetry you're cutting articles out of like sentences yeah, right. you are paring it down to literally the most like just raw parts of of the way that we communicate Right. And making it more effective that way with comedy. It's just like, oh, I don't think you need to say that dumb tag at the end of this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? It's or not throwing... necessary yeah, for yeah, the exactly. reaction. So have you have you done an album? Yeah. 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 You, so you it's just... called Light Skin Feelings. It's on all the things that you download music on now. Spotify. Spotify. You damn right. The Spotify. easiest one. Probably the debunked iTunes. It was on there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, Apple Music. Now it's a music, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, is this? Are you are you on your second hour right now? That yeah, you're, this is my second hour. Okay. Yeah. And do you? You're still tweaking this hour. I 
I imagine. Yeah, I would say this hour as it is right now is probably seventy five percent where I want it to be. Yeah, it's um, pretty close. It's it works. It works. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. No, it's. I'm not ashamed of it. Right. But I also am not. Uh, I'm not ready to show it to right. people that matter yet. And do you know? Do you have a plan for like the timeline? Or are you just going to keep working on it and uh, see how things go? Uh, I'm doing Edinburgh this year. Oh. Um. Cool. So I'm taking it there. And so the hope is that in the next month, essentially, I'm going to be able to sharpen it enough that it will be Edinburgh ready. And then I get to do that for literally a month straight of just the same hour. And so for Edinburgh, you're doing it every day for a month. Mm -hmm. And it kind of they they typically give it more of like a one man show feel versus like a stand up hour. Are you creating a distinction between that or are you just doing your hour i'm just doing my hour yeah i think my i have the good fortune at least this is something i believe about myself i have the good fortune that some of my structuring has a a an, a one-man showy quality yes, it to does. it uh-huh. it isn't i don't think i'm doing a one-man show by any means but i think that it it is a if i'm a person going expecting a one-man show mm-hmm. you you don't see my comedy and then go well that was nothing like i thought it could be right it very much could fall within that that space and so i think that the way that you know i just like to do comedy works already for what edinburgh Definitely, is totally for. i totally agree yeah yeah it's um it's interesting to watch you because you you you'll make kind of you make points you'll take time to kind of say what you want to say without making a joke at all kind of in your premises when you're yeah. setting up your premises you really lay out your point of view and then you'll follow it up with a bunch of jokes yeah and you'll get a bunch of laughs and it'll get quiet and kind of tense when you're bringing up some kind of you know maybe they're not even that serious but they're just issues that are a little hard for people to deal with and then you bring it you you release the tension with with jokes yeah so you get to do both really make the you're making some points and you're getting big laughs at the same time um one of my favorite comedians gary goldman who I think is sure. like a genius, he's great, uh, was very kind to me, especially when I was like first starting off in Boston. Um, once said it to me, and I, I've like carried it with me for a really long time, of, of uh, not being afraid of the quiet. Right. That like the quiet in the room doesn't mean that they're not having fun. The quiet in the room actually means that they're locked the fuck in yeah. on what you're saying and what you're doing. And so I've I've taken a lot of uh, I've I've now taken it on myself to be like, I'm gonna manipulate the shit out of the quiet. Yeah, I'm gonna make that quiet work for me in a mm-hmm. way that I enjoy. So I get to say all the things I feel I get to be transparent. I get to be honest on stage. But then I get to offer the catharsis of Ah, but we all talking about our dicks right, at the end of the right. day, kind of. Yeah, thing. it's nice. I think it's good. F- it's it's good for everybody. It's nice for the audience to get to hear that stuff in a way that's kind of you know it lets them off the hook, yeah. kind of repeatedly throughout throughout it, and and makes it easy to digest mm-hmm. the you know the thoughts that that you're bringing up. Yeah, I don't ever want to. I think my biggest fear, and it's something I'm always battling. I don't I don't like applause. Like sure. Clap. No. Clapping is almost always clapter and, of course, and just yes. people agreeing. Like it, sometimes you've just wowed them so much yeah. that they like 
have to clap their hands and the applause breaks are beautiful things yeah i mean if you yeah if you build momentum to the point where it ends in an applause break that's one it's beautiful. that's different than making a point getting applause right break. exactly I, I guess maybe i should clarify i don't like the applause that comes in the setups i don't yes. like the applause that comes in a a correct opinion right that's the it's the most boring part of comedy to me and so i've really works hard to try to strike a balance of like no nah, i want to be able to say thoughtful things but i don't want it to feel so good that you're like wanting to celebrate me for it right that's whack yeah because i mean most people can go on well maybe not most people but a lot of people can go on stage and just say the right thing that people yeah. support and like but that's not you're not doing comedy at no. that point that's you're you're kind of you're doing a different thing i mean literally the worst <laughs> the worst human comedians ever were also very good at going up and saying things that were either politically or uh, emotionally like profound to the, mm -hmm. their listeners. Bill Cosby is one of the most famous philanthropists in, right. you know, entertainment. Yeah. Louis C.K. literally has gone on stage and talked about women's rights in mm -hmm. a way that has motivated and, and been cited for resources. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if these people don't have the, any of us have the ability to be able to articulate right. the correct answer. Right. But that's not our job. Right. Our job is to be funny. Right. And those dudes were funny, but they also like, you know, were manipulating in a way that like, I don't ever want to find myself. Right. In, you right. Know what I mean, it's, I was interested listening to you last night talking about being mixed race mm -hmm. and because it, the conflict you know it's it's not just it is a conflict inside you you're talking about your own your own stuff and then there isn't a larger social context to what you're saying yeah and uh i think it really makes it easy to kind of hear your point of view because you're really you're working through it yourself in a way that a lot of people don't have to yeah i mean i don't i don't know that i even am working through being mixed anymore i'm a 32 year old man it's right. not like i'm like struggling with personal identity in any kind of way but th those bits are fun because it is sort of like the ongoing sort of ways that that racial identity bumps against the the things that are happening in my life having kids mm -hmm. getting you know in a relationship that whole thing um, but more than anything, I think as an artist, I've just always I think the way that I've always like motivated myself or found myself uh, created strategies to avoid being hacky mm -hmm. is to always talk about me first. Right. If there's a personal story in all of this, even if my punchline comes out closer to someone else's, my personal story is like a trump card. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I am, absolutely. I am essentially saying, no, this is evidence of my experience as opposed to me just observing it in the world and deciding I want to write a joke mm -hmm. about it. So I try to make sure that there's an element of me in every single bit right. that I write, including, you know, observations about like race and identity. And so shit. you talk about like the idea of if you were to have a child that looked white, yeah, how that would feel. Is that something that you worry about? Or yeah, no, me and my girl have legit had like a sit down conversation about it. Yeah. Just being like, hey, just so you know, this is a real possibility that we so could end up with. There is like to me, there is conflict left. You yeah. know, there is it's <laughs> like it's still like, you know, it's still there. It's still something right. that because because it is a weird idea. It's very strange to think about it. Yeah. Especially, you know, 
I, I don't know if right now, like, things are so much worse than they were before. Nah, um, I mean, it's yeah. just maybe, like, more in the news and there's, like, a slightly more extreme people getting a chance to talk. Whereas I think we're I I've felt this for a while. I think we're more scared than we've ever been. Yeah. As a as a as a overall public, not as not in isolated communities. Isolated communities obviously have been far more scared. Right. Like sure. The, sure. You know, black people in the sixties were being terrorized. Right. Native American people for generations have been terrorized. They've mm-hmm. been far more scared on a personal level, but as a group. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is like expressing fear, mm-hmm. but also literally no one's life has changed, at least in, you know, the the little bubble that I live in. I can't speak for, you know, the middle America coal worker who might actually be losing. Farmers are actually losing a lot of stuff. But like for the motherfuckers, I know everybody's life is exactly the same. They're just scared of the possibility of their life changing, which is what's making it so much louder. Yeah. And yeah. It's creating the anxiety in exactly. everybody. Yeah, it's a it's it's a lot to deal with. And I I mean, obviously, um, seeing comedy about it is probably the easiest way to kind of grapple with uh, everything that's that's going on around you. But it's also like the thing that gets people the most upset. Yeah, it's it's a weird dance that we're in where it's like you came here for to be, I guess, put at ease. But that's yeah. not really our job. <laughs> yeah, I think some people can't let go of of the issues. They're they, they're wrapped up in the issues to the point where they they're just not able to put it aside to to enjoy it. Right, but even even that like to come here expecting for the issues to to somehow come out the way you want them yeah. is a logical misstep. Like comedians are not meant to be on the right side of mm-hmm. issues. Comedians are be- meant to be on the right side of humor. So like yeah. I am meant to be able to talk about the issues and help you find a place of rest in that you are able to laugh about a thing that you otherwise were not able to laugh about. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm getting you to the place where you liked what I said. Yeah. You just have to laugh at what I said. What do you think about the idea of like places kind of, um like self-selecting certain types of comedy and then because there are places where if you're not talking about it the right way for super liberal people Mm -hmm. then you're just not going to be able to perform there and then you filter all those people out and then you have just a certain type of comedian that is just catering to that viewpoint there and then you end up kind of with these other clubs that get criticized for booking certain people then they they kind of react the opposite way yeah. and then you end up with kind of separate war even even more separate worlds than than already exist yeah i mean i think that though that separation is natural though right like my this is a great example my my agent um weirdly enough uh has a uh a farm in up in like upstate new york I guess it's not technically upstate, but just a suburb of New York City. She okay. works in New York City, but she every day commutes and lives on a giant farm um, Wild. with like chickens and like goats. And like uh, they literally like have a, a cider festival every year wow. on their like a state. She's living a very nice, interesting sort yeah. of like not New York City life outside of this space. But she sent me a video one time or showed me a video one time of these new chicks that were born and they the chicks separate themselves 
by color. Mm-hmm. So the yellow chicks all go on the side with the yellow chicks. Okay. And the brown chicks all go on the side with the brown chicks. These are babies. Uh-huh. They're baby little chickens. They have no idea what the world is. They're not uh-huh. looking at each other and like feeling hatred. Uh-huh. It's just this natural want to go towards the things that look like us and feel familiar. Mm-hmm. So they do that. It's literally like on separate sides of a whatever that aquarium thing is you keep baby chickens in incubator okay yeah yeah um but that's what we do Mm -hmm. humans are the exact same way i find familiarity i like the things that sound like me or feel more like the things that feel natural to my way of speaking or my logic whatever so i'm not mad at the possibility that like yo if you if i don't fall within the the type of liberal conversation that you want to have don't invite me Mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. i should not be there Vice versa, if you are interested in a more conservative sort of like not either apolitical or hard political conversation, I'm also not meant to be there. But if you invite me, I'm doing my shit. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like my shit, that's on you. Does it matter to you whether it influences anyone? It influences in what way? Just in the sense of um, just in what you're trying to talk about, like. Does it matter if it impacts anybody in terms of helping them see things in a different way or just bringing them a little further along in their in their understanding of of whatever whatever issues you're bringing up? Does mm-hmm. that is that a, something that you think about or you really you're just trying to talk from from yourself and be funny? I think that used to matter to me. Okay. I think I used to think that that was important to make people see things differently. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a real thing. I think that's a fiction. Yeah. I don't actually believe that people leave a comedy club and they, they like now don't want to hit their yeah. wife because the comedian on stage was like, hey, guys, maybe we should listen to women more and right, uh, right. be more decent out right. in the world. It's not a real thing. What I think we do make people do is find humanity in each other and in a space, mm-hmm. right? So somebody who might disagree with me who doesn't fully align with my views mm-hmm. can see me as human, then we're a step closer to being slightly more decent. Mm-hmm. So I don't need you to learn anything from me. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to have like uh, made some personal growth. Mm-hmm. I just kind of need you to be able to look over at the person next to you. Y'all are both laughing mm-hmm. and see a human being instead of seeing like an enemy or somebody that otherwise would have been like the worst. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think that's my only goal at this point. I don't. Yeah. Poetry, I think, makes you in a lot of ways believe that you can change the way people live and really? breathe and more so than comedy. Um, It's it's much more a um, it's even cooked in the language of the way that we like talk about things oh, really? like the uh, poem being revelatory mm-hmm. that that implies that someone had a revelation. Yeah. They literally read this thing and they became a new from the the words that yeah. you wrote down on the page, maybe that's possible. I've had poems change my life. Sure, for yeah, sure, sure, of course. But I was already bought into the idea of that poem changing my life. Whereas, like a comedy audience came here for beer and getting pussy. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, there's no way I'm making you better. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can yeah. only make you more human. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm trying. I mean, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I don't know if anybody has that has ever like really had an influence on me i mean i've watched so much comedy i'm trying to think like has anybody changed me i would think somewhat 
Yeah. No, set, they've changed me. Yeah. Millions of, com- not millions, yeah. but hundreds of comedians yeah. have changed me personally. Uh-huh. But I'm buying into the idea of them changing me. You're open me. to it. I'm open to it, but that wasn't their job. Right. Right? Like, no, no, right. Uh, Dave Chappelle's bit about how old is 15 really mm-hmm. is maybe my favorite bit anybody's ever written of all oh, time. Oh, really? Wow. Like, it does all the things that I love for comedy to do. It has hard jokes. It has that beautiful quiet. It has, like, all these moments that make you question the things that you believe, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he didn't write that knowing that it was going to change me he wrote that joke because it was funny that way right right that quiet was necessary to get the big laugh at the end of whatever that is and that's his only responsibility right and if it made me more human if it made me more decent to people around me then that's a great Mm -hmm. byproduct but at the end of the day that bit was about being funny Mm -hmm. first if it was about changing me first it's not going to be a good bit right you know what i mean do you want to do things other than comedy? Do you want to go beyond comedy? Like, do you want to write uh, like your own TV show or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I've written for a few things that, you know, that was great. The show Southside that's coming in the in the summer um, yeah. is uh, something that I got to be in the room on. was really dope. Um, and I'm excited for people to see that. I think similarly, I am working on a few developed, meant projects that hopefully one will come to be and sort of be the thing i've had development in the past all of which i thought would come to be the thing i think that's the game that we play right yes i think that's a lot that's actually a thing that most comedians who are starting off don't realize about comedy is that no first of all nobody lives off of just stand-up anymore right right like you know what you're paying people for weekends. Mm-hmm. It, realistically, if there's four weekends a month, even if you're that successful that you're working every single weekend a month, you're still not making enough to like pay for rent in New York or L.A. consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's not very many. There's just not a whole lot of people that can tour every weekend. But that's what I mean. Is yeah. like it's not even re- that's. And not, this is a major city. There, it's not every weekend isn't D.C. Like right. there's not that. There's like ten cities bigger than D.C. Like that's there's still 40 more weeks and they're all in smaller cities so you're gonna get paid less money in all those cities you're getting paid less money the travel doesn't always pay out the way that you need it to you literally have to feed yourself in foreign places that Mm -hmm. means you're spending more money to be able Mm -hmm. to do it it's just all very complicated to make a living in stand-up comedy yes and then on top of that what i think well the more important part i think that a lot of people don't know is part of the way that comedians end up making their money is through projects that they create right so people write shows people write on shows for sure but then there are a lot of projects that like every comic has a pilot that they've worked on right that they've either sold or attempted to sell right and even if that show doesn't end up on tv part of your income was selling that show to a network who then hurts your feelings and says no we're not going to make the thing right but they pay you sometimes very good money yeah which carries you through a year or two yeah i can i can sleep easy knowing that sure this company won't make my tv show but they paid me a lot to tell me they think i suck Um, (laughs) so it's you know it's a weird dance that we have and the same goes for acting like so many of you know your favorite comedians are people who were on the cusp of their big break because Mm -hmm. they got a pilot that was dope and they were excited about and then the network turns it down 
and now they don't get to be on TV, but they also made enough money to keep attempting to right. do this job. What Was there a point where you thought that you were interested in getting into acting? Were you always interested in it? Um, I think I very... Alingon Mitra. Do you know Alingon? Yeah, he's on the podcast. Oh, tight. Good friend. I'm not. He's uh-huh. a, he's a buddy of mine. When we were uh, starting in Boston, he was like one of my first sort of like running mates, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in comedy. And he did. In- you guys are intellectuals. Oh, he's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> he, he he like is an actual like smart dude. I'm just <laughs> a dude with opinions and uh, the words to make it sound like I know right. things. Um, but Alingon when we first started, did the Boston Comedy Festival, which is a competition. Right. He made it to, it's a story I remember very vividly because it changed a lot of the way I understand the comedy world. We were probably like a year and a half, two years in. But he did the Boston Comedy Festival. He made it to the semifinals of the Boston Comedy Festival, which if you're two years into comedy is a pretty big deal. It feels good. It doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But at the time we were like, damn. It's motivational. Yeah, Lingha's doing great. And so when he did it, the uh these uh producers or sort of like uh execs from mtv were in the audience and so they saw him perform they liked him they invited him to new york city to come down and have a general meeting with uh mtv and we all thought man a ling i made it yeah this right it. he changed the whole game he, this motherfucker is about to be famous and he went to new york he had the meeting and they he sat down and they they said we thought you were great we love you so much what do you do and then Alingon was like, oh, I, I do stand-up. Right. <laughs> right? Y'all saw that. I, I tell jokes. You remember when you came, you invited me here. I yeah. do stand-up. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was great. We said that. What do you do? He was like, I do stand That's it. That's all I do. And they were like, all right, cool. Good meeting. And that was it. I mean, obviously, they peppered it and did the thing. But mm-hmm. that essentially is what it broke down to was them being like, Okay, we don't have any use for you. Right. If all you do is tell jokes. Yeah, and we're came, a television network. <laughs> exactly. And he came back and told us that. And I like light bulb in my head. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, I have to start doing other things. Right. I can't just be a stand up comedian because the like you said, they're a television network. There are no stand up comedians on MTV. There are stand up comedians who choose to do things on MTV. Right. But they're not showcasing stand up. No. So if I'm not figuring Figuring out other ways of demonstrating my skill set, then I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. So I immediately was like, I gotta start working on this acting thing. I gotta write a script. I like, and I did. I just like went straight to the drawing board and tried to to figure out how to make it all work. Do you like acting or writing better? Um, I like the control of writing. I like the. Uh, <laughs> I like the attention of acting. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to be yeah. on TV, you know. It's exciting to be on TV. You it's got exciting to be, to be recognized for things. Right, yeah. You got to be on Insecure on HBO. Yeah. And I would assume a lot of people recognize you from yeah, that. Yeah, it's a fair amount. And, you know, I'm not like the, the star of that show by any means, but I like the, you know, we, we all get into this gig for attention. You know, it's, like al- attention. <laughs> it's also uh, a lot of people get on a TV show that's not a good TV show. Yeah. And, you know, you're when you're stand up, you kind of, you know, I, I don't know how many people are able to turn down bad shows like it, like turn down the job if they don't if that's the only option they have. But, you know, you got to be on a, a very respected show. Yeah, it's a it's a cool show. People like it a lot. 
and it's you know it's the reception i am blessed in that the reception has been nothing but positive right especially for me like obviously show creators show sort of like the faces of the show take the brunt of of sometimes negative mm-hmm. responses like i remember this was annoying as shit but everybody got like started like fucking with isa like on the internet this is twitter being it's most obnoxious yeah, yeah. twitter but like started like tweeting at her i think during or after season two because it might have been season one but they got so mad at her because all of the sex scenes in the show never showed anyone putting on condoms okay it was like shut the fuck up yeah i know you what you want to see him slowly have to figure out the (laughs) thing and then turn it inside no shut up yeah just let the thing you if you want condoms just go use but they're like it's not promoting sex sex this is dangerous whatever it's like oh this is so exhausting and so it is exhausting yeah exhausting but i fortunately have never had to deal with any of it yeah like but, even my character was like a guy who was on the right side of history in a lot of ways. Yeah. So like everybody's response to me has just been like, hey, man, you're brave. You're cool. It was like, I don't know. I just showed up and did some things. Yeah. It's like if you're if you're lucky enough to get big, then you'll have that stuff happen to you. Exactly. And then you'll have to deal with all of that. And if you're able to stay, you know, under the radar, you can like live a peaceful life. Right. Without without all of that attention. No, so, we we all get YouTube comments. We just uh oh, <laughs> some yeah, of us get more of them than others. And YouTube comments are uh, I think a little easier than people coming at you on Twitter. Maybe. Just, I think the direct at does change yeah, something. Cause it and it also feels more public, like you know, the YouTube comments are public, but I've never read YouTube comments. Sure, like yeah, you have to on make someone else's video. Like, why to... would I read? Why would I read YouTube comments? Yeah, the only time I've ever read YouTube comments is when either a video is like uh, embarrassing enough that this yeah, you want to see what they say. We're just all gonna have fun in this, yeah. or it's it's me already disliking something or someone, yeah, and I want someone to validate my hatred. Which is sick, but that's where, you know, we go mm, sometimes. Seems natural. Yeah. So um, Southside on Chicago, uh, on Chicago, on Comedy Central. Who yeah. Whose show is that? Uh, these two dudes, Bashir and Diallo. Okay. Um, who were former Fallon writers. Okay. Um, and now uh, have their own show. They have a show coming out this July on on Comedy Central Southside and then like literally within weeks they also have a show on IFC coming out wow um called uh Sherman Showcase <laughs> so they're very talented funny dudes yeah um and the you know they just make dope shit and I got lucky to be a part of it was that the first um show that you had like a major part writing on um first uh first like narrative TV series yeah first like um you know, full season kind of thing. I did, I wrote for the Oscars the year that Chris Rock did it. I wrote for him and uh, as a part of his staff. And then um, I've written for like various like pilots that have, you know, they had a room, but they didn't necessarily go all the way kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so I've had like smaller experiences, but this was my first like season long journey. Were you working directly with Chris Rock at that time? Uh, in theory. Yeah. I mean, what is. Did you talk to him? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't like ignoring me yeah. or anything. Uh, talk like to if him. you if you walk past him on the street. 
Yeah, he knows who I am. Yeah, he okay. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I got the job was through him, like seeing me do stand up, wow, and cool. then him being kind enough to ask me to be a part of it. So it wasn't like oh, I never met this man. And I'm just sending jokes over the internet. Right. At the same time, I didn't. It wasn't like I. We didn't have like some beautiful rapport. Sure. Like if we, like I said, if he saw me on the street, he would recognize me. We would not talk for very long. Right, right, It's right. not like a deep bond that'll never break. It just is, uh, you know, it's a dude who like was kind enough to let me do a thing. And I was amongst 15 other people okay. who were in that room. Was it fun? It was, it was uh, work. Yeah, really? It was exciting. Uh-huh. It was it was everything that I thought it would be in terms of the scale and the intensity, but it, I don't know that I would describe every day as fun. Mm-hmm. Not because he was mean or the situation was fucked up. It wasn't anything dramatic. It just is. Uh, Namesh Patel, who's very funny, uh-huh. who was on that in that room as well, described it one time, and he said, uh, he said, "There's something real weird about being nervous for eight hours a day." Yeah, it's like ah, that's exactly right. Like yeah. we're we're here just nervous. Yeah, and that it doesn't. I don't even know if that's. It's not good for comedy, but it definitely like isn't good for fun. No, yeah, or performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, t- yeah, tightening tightening up like that. But it was my first room. It was his first room. I think that for others in that space, they they sort of found their voices a little easier and faster because they had that experience. Right. And, weren't quite as uh it was a lot of older people and us and michelle wolf was the other sort of like younger person in the room and so between the three of us like everybody else was like people who had worked with rock for years before this meaning they felt more comfortable with him and like had a rapport with him yeah they they already yeah yeah know what what he liked and and what he didn't like so on these projects that you're working on for the future is there a specific uh, theme that that these projects have? Mm, I wouldn't call it a theme. Or I think anything that you're trying, like specifically trying to do. Uh, one of them is an animated show. I don't want to go into any uh, detail sure. about any of this stuff, but it's an animated show that sort of like again is based on a real life experience that I had that uh-huh. I think is going to be really funny and sort of unique. Cool. Um, and then the other is a project that I'm making with three of my friends, Jack Knight. Sam J and Chris Red. Oh wow! Um, and so the four of us are just sort of working on a fun thing. Awesome. Let's we, we. Those are you know three of my closest friends in comedy. All so, all been to Big Hunt. Yeah, 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 they're all big Big Hunt vets. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. The four of us are uh, creating something where we just get to be silly and fuck around. Yeah, you guys are really fun to listen to. All four of you guys are uh, great comics and. Uh, all have interesting points of view yeah so, I, I, it's gonna be a good group so that's pretty neat yeah and uh i would think i would think uh somebody would want to be attached to you guys boy do i hope that that's true <laughs> i do i do it's been a this is a project we've been working on for upwards of uh almost three years now so it has not been an easy like journey i would say it's probably been my most like difficult process project Uh and process through all of my hollywood quote-unquote experience but you know we're we're very uh we're very hopeful that this year in particular is going to be the year that it starts to take shape do you feel like it has been a smooth ride for you 
in stand-up or do you think it, it has been a mixture of struggles and successes? I don't think that a smooth ride is a good thing. Yeah. I think that, that anybody who's like, nah, I've just hit the ground running and uh-huh. things have been good, you're probably, first of all, you're probably not going to be that funny when all of this is done. Uh-huh. But then also, like, I, I just don't think that that's the way that this is supposed to go. Yeah, I don't so think I don't so know. either. I wouldn't describe my ride as smooth, but I think I've, I've had the benefit of being able to do a lot of cool things. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, like... You know, I'm not I'm not like a guy that like is constantly being uh, vouched for by like the greats. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yes. I'm not like a name that's constantly circulating amongst. No, the, you, you didn't get plucked out no. amongst everybody to say, like, this is the person. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I think that that just is the way that the chips fell. And I'm OK with that. But, it, you know, so for that, it sort of has created a weird like ego thing where i want to be able to prove myself. yeah it does it makes it makes people a better comic when that doesn't happen yeah i think so like you know my my i was very lucky my uh montreal class was like crazy good mm-hmm. it was like a a really just like we've we always describe it because we're egomaniacs we always describe it as like the 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 2003 NBA draft of yeah, like yeah. <laughs> Montreal classes uh-huh. of just like beast, Who else was beast, in beast, 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 beast. Uh, Clayton English, uh-huh. uh, Jack Knight, Chris Red. Um, who else was in our class? John Renitsky, um, Emma Willman, uh, Matt Broussard. Um, it's yeah, yeah, lots it's of a people. it's a lot of heavy hitters. Litter oots like oh, just wow. a lot of really funny people across the board mm-hmm. um all were a part of this thing and that's that's just the, the rep new faces like megan gailey was in our class uh ryan donahue was wow. in our class rob hayes was in our it's like mm-hmm. a really strong group of yeah that's cool of comedians um so it was one of those things where you know it it felt great because I'm amongst all these really funny people, but it's also competitive as fuck. Sure. And so I'm watching my peers go and do things that I want to be able to do and vice versa. I imagine those same things are happening. And so it, it you know, I easy, no. Are you able to keep a good perspective on other people kind of uh, getting big success? Sometimes. I think if I'm being <laughs> honest, sometimes I'm bitter about it and yeah, yeah. resentful uh-huh. and, and start to critique everything that they're doing. Yeah, like, yeah. you ain't even that funny. This ain't, you don't <laughs> even do the thing as good as I could do the thing. But at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, some of this stuff just isn't meant for me. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. Uh, Lisa Traeger, actually, I use a lot of other people's names in this. Uh, That's Lisa, all right. Lisa actually said it to me one time when I thought it was very funny. She went in for a voiceover audition. Mm-hmm. She has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. Um, and she went in and she she like was like, I'm going to do good. I know how to talk. I know how to like read. I'll be great. Yeah. And she went in and did the voiceover audition. And she said, I, I bombed. I felt like I bombed. And then she was like, oh, but of course I did. I don't do this. It's your first time. It's my first time doing it. And so I think there's that weird ego thing of being like, well, I'm good at something. Therefore, I will be good at all things. Yeah. And we have to remind ourselves that even though sometimes we are very good at something, which I think that I am good at some of this stuff, I'm not necessarily good at all of this stuff. 
even though it feels like I should be in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever they're not seeing in me or or failing to to handpick me for, yeah, is not always a reflection of of my potential or of course. someone being better than me. It just means I'm not quite what they needed in that moment or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is there advice that you would give a young comic? Uh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, beyond of going up all the time and the standard, like learning how to do stand up, but like just in terms of like trying to pursue a career and and make it, you know, make a living from it. Yeah, I I think uh, add hyphens to whatever you do. Like the the I mean, I gen- genuinely like the more hyphen meaning the more things that you're able to do the closer you are to a utility for these executives and professionals who will be able to offer you money. Mm-hmm. So being just a standup is not enough. Mm-hmm. It might feel like enough to be able to work, you know, the DC scene or whatever community you're working in, but to really succeed, you have to start thinking bigger picture, mm-hmm. which means adding hyphens, even if it's like, Oh, I don't really want to write, but I want to help produce my friend's thing. Or I want to be a podcaster, or I want to be an animator, I want to be a a writer, I want to be a a dancer. It doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. But the more things that you can sort of bring to the table, the more you become interesting to the people that want to buy from you. And also, the more it just sort of eases the process in terms of... uh, not going crazy when the one thing that you're yeah yeah you're really banging your head against the wall trying to get if it's just stand up there's only a couple of things in front of you that you can get and if you don't get them then you just got to live with it for a while until you get another chance to go after it again right mateo lane uh is a beautiful singer right artist yes this motherfucker can sing opera. If he never gets another joke to land, yeah. he has sweet abs and an operatic voice. Like, yeah, yeah. He's going to be able to like balance some of these feelings. And that's harder if like you don't figure something else out to do. Yeah, I think Mateo is going to blow up like yeah. right right now. No, like, he's super talented. He's like, I think it's just about to happen for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's another person that I, I think even with all that talent and, and uniqueness, he, he really wasn't selected either to to do anything. He was kind of just doing stand up all the time. Yeah, no, he wasn't hand plucked. Mateo's actually he's interesting because I don't think that he's been doing it as long as he seems like he's yes, been doing that's it. true. He does seem very um, far along. He seems like he's been like a decade in, right? And he's not a decade right. in by any means. Yeah. He's not like a baby in this at all, mm-hmm. but he isn't quite as far into it. How as, long have you been doing stand up? I am. Uh, I'll be ten years in January cool so almost a decade well i think it's going great for you man thanks man (laughs) thanks so much for doing the podcast hell yeah for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com